Hello and welcome to the July 2014 IFRIC Update podcast. My name is Michael Stewart, Director of Implementation Activities at the ISB, and I'm joined today by Juan Hihan, uh, Irina Makarova and Kuchira Kuramuchi to talk about some of the issues that were discussed at the Interpretations Committee meeting on the 15th and 16th of July. Now, the views that you'll hear in today's podcast will be those of the presenters and not necessarily those of the Interpretations Committee or the IASB. Now, the first issue that I wanted to talk about today was uh, related to IFRS 11. Now, one he, we've been discussing various IFRS 11 issues um, over a number of meetings. Now, there were two particular issues that we discussed at this meeting. Um, Can you just summarise which those two were? Uh, Yes, Michael. The first issue was about the classification of the joint arrangement. Specifically, we considered a specific type of joint arrangement structure, uh, which is established for a bespoke construction project for delivery of a construction service to a single customer. And the second issue was the accounting by the joint operators. Uh, We discussed how the joint operators should recognize assets, liabilities, revenues, and expenses in relation to their interest in the joint operation. Okay, so let's start with the uh, issue about the accounting for, or particularly the classification of um, a joint arrangement structure which is established for a bespoke construction project. Um, what, What were the considerations for the Interpretations Committee on this issue? The Interpretations Committee um, discussed whether the features it considered indicate that the parties to the joint arrangement have, in substance, direct rights to the assets and direct obligations for the liabilities relating to the joint arrangement, and therefore the joint arrangement is classified as a joint operation. The Interpretations Committee noted that the parties would not have, in substance, direct rights to the assets of the joint arrangement but could have, in substance, direct obligations for the liabilities of the joint arrangement, depending on the nature of the parties' obligations. Consequently, the Interpretations Committee noted that the joint arrangement having the features in the example would not be classified as a joint operation. Uh, This is because in order to classify a joint arrangement as a joint operation, IFRS 11 requires that the parties to the joint arrangement have, in substance, both direct rights to the assets and direct obligations for the liabilities relating to the joint arrangement. So, Wonhee, what were the particular characteristics, or maybe you could give some examples of some of the characteristics that led the Interpretations Committee to this conclusion? Um, Yes, Michael. Um, The Interpretations Committee noted that IFRS 11 requires that the parties should have substantially all economic benefits of the assets of the joint arrangement when the parties purchase output from the joint arrangement. And when they looked at the features they considered, um, the features only indicated that the parties have some economic benefits of the assets of the joint arrangement. So they concluded that uh, the parties um, do not have direct rights in substance to the assets of the joint arrangement. 
Okay, so the fact that they had some but not substantially all of the economic benefits associated with the assets of the joint arrangement, that meant that it failed the uh, test, if you like, to reach the classification as a joint operation. Yes, that's correct. Okay, thank you. Now, one of the things that I know the committee did think about and consider was whether it would make sense for a situation where two joint arrangements that are pretty much the same except for one of them being structured through a separate vehicle and the other one not, um, whether it would make sense for those two joint arrangements to come to different conclusions as far as the classification is concerned. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about that discussion that the committee had? Yes, Michael. The Interpretations Committee um, noted that two joint arrangements with similar features can be classified differently depending on whether or not the joint arrangement is structured through a separate vehicle. Uh, This is because uh, in the case of a joint arrangement that is structured through a separate vehicle, the legal form of the vehicle must be overcome by other contractual arrangements or specific other facts and circumstances in order for the joint arrangement to be classified as a joint operation. But in the case of a joint arrangement that is not structured through a separate vehicle, it is automatically classified as a joint operation. The Interpretations Committee noted that this reflects the approach adopted in IFRS 11, which places importance on A, reflecting the rights and obligations of the parties to the joint arrangement, and b, the presence of a separate vehicle affecting those rights and obligations. The Interpretations Committee noted that the assessment of the classification of a joint arrangement depends on specific contractual terms and conditions and requires a full analysis of the features of the joint arrangement structure. Thank you. Now, the second issue that the Interpretations Committee had discussed relating to joint arrangements was about uh, how the accounting should be done for recognising assets, liabilities, revenue and expense um, in situations where the interests or the shares of the uh, two uh, joint operators differ from perhaps their shareholding in the structure through which the joint operation is conducted. Uh, so what was the, um, the, the matters that the Interpretations, cons- Inter- Interpretations Committee considered in this area? Uh, yes, Michael. The Interpretations Committee discussed this issue by considering the circumstance in which the joint arrangement is classified as a joint operation because the assessment of other facts and circumstances show that the parties to the joint arrangement purchase all output from the joint arrangement And this fact, in addition to other facts, indicates that the parties have a right to to the assets and obligations for the liabilities relating to the joint arrangement. In this circumstance, the Interpretations Committee noted that the joint operators would not recognize any amount in relation to share of the revenue from the sale of the output by the joint operation, uh, as referred to in paragraph 20D of IFRS 11. This is because the share of the revenue from the sale of the output to the joint operators by the joint operation 
would be eliminated against the share of the output purchased by the joint operators. Then the Interpretations Committee discussed the accounting by the joint operators when the joint operator's share of the output purchased differs from the, their ownership interest in the joint operation. The Interpretations Committee noted that it is important to understand why the share of the output purchased differs from the ownership interest in the joint operation. The Interpretations Committee also noted that the accounting for the difference arising between the share of the output purchased and the ownership interest can vary depending on the details of the contractual agreement. Uh, judgment will therefore be needed to determine the appropriate accounting. Thank you. Now, this is the fifth meeting at which the Interpretations Committee has discussed matters related to um, IFRS 11. And obviously on these two that it discussed at this time, it's, it's reached some conclusions. So what will be the next steps for the committee? Uh, yes, Michael. Given that the Interpretations Committee discussed several issues over the last couple of its meetings, the Interpretations Committee considered the next steps with regard to various issues that it had identified at its November 2013 meeting. The Interpretations Committee noted that its discussion on joint arrangement in its meetings from November 2013 would help stakeholders to address implementation issues relating to IFRS 11. The Interpretations Committee therefore decided to discuss at its next meeting how it can best document its conclusions and observations from this work so that it will be helpful for stakeholders. Okay, so something certainly to keep an eye out for at the, the next meeting. Thank you. Yeah. Irina. The next issue that we want to talk about is relation to the issue concerning uncertain tax positions. Could you start off by briefly describing what the issue is? Uh, the issue raised by the submitter relates to the recognition of an asset in the particular situation in which an entity makes a payment to tax authorities in respect of uh, an uncertain tax position. The submitter described a situation in which tax laws require an entity to make an, an immediate payment when a tax examination results in an additional charge, even if the entity intends to appeal against that additional charge. And uh, the question raised is whether IS-12 or IS-37 is applied to determine whether to recognize an asset on that payment. And what do we know about diversity in practice on this issue? Uh, the responses to, to our outreach request and the comment letters we received uh, on the tentative agenda decision indicated that there is diversity in practice on this issue. Uh, also, some of the respondents pointed out that the main source of the diversity in practice is measurement of tax assets and liabilities in such situations. They also noted that addressing the recognition issue without developing guidance on measurement will not resolve uh, the existing diversity in accounting. Now, this wasn't the first time that the committee has discussed this issue. Uh, what is its view on this issue? Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, the committee discussed this issue in January, May and July 2014. And uh, at its last meeting in July, the committee decided that it should consider both the question of recognition and the question of measurement. Uh, in respect of recognition, the committee noted that IS-12 should be applied 
uh, and that uh, paragraph 88 of OS 12, which includes a reference to OS 37, provides guidance only on disclosure requirements for such items. Consequently, the committee concluded that sufficient guidance exists and uh, decided to remove the item from its agenda. That issue, though, is described in an agenda decision, isn't it? Explaining the Interpretation Committee's views on that matter. Yes, indeed. All the key points are mentioned there. Good. Uh, on the question of measurement, the committee acknowledged that the, uh, that it is the more challenging issue in respect of uncertain tax positions and asked the staff uh, asked us to prepare a paper for discussion at a future meeting. Uh, the objective of that paper would be to analyze the existing guidance on how to measure assets and liabilities in the situation in which tax position is uncertain and to consider whether the issue could be addressed by the committee. Okay, so what are the next steps then for this? We will analyze the question of measurement of assets and liabilities in such uh, situations. And uh, the Interpretations Committee has asked, uh, has asked us to include the consideration of how detection risk and probability should be reflected in the measurement of tax assets and liabilities in such situations. And uh, we will bring this analysis at the future Interpretations Committee meeting. Thank you. Our final matter today uh, relates to uh, an issue on the application of IS-16 property plant equipment and in particular uh, how to account for the proceeds received from uh, a testing period when testing an item of PP&E and how that interacts with the costs of testing. Now, Koichiro, could you just briefly describe what the issue was that was submitted to us? Thank you very much, Michael. Yes, the Interpretations Committee received a request to clarify accounting for the net proceeds from selling items produced. So, for example, when assets are constructed, sometimes companies sell sample products uh, during the testing periods. And the question is how these proceeds should be accounted for, especially the proceeds exceed cost of testing. And what was the Interpretation Committee's view on this matter? Right. Uh, we discussed this issue at the Interpretations Committee meeting for the first time in this meeting, and the different views were expressed at the Interpretations Committee meeting some Interpretations Committee members expressed their view that total proceeds could be deducted from total uh, asset cost, even if proceeds exceed uh, cost of testing. On the other hand, other Interpretations Committee members expressed their view that paragraph 17E states that uh, the net proceeds from selling items should be deducted from cost of testing. So uh, we had different views. And that latter reading uh, would lead them to conclude that only if there's some, if the net proceeds don't exceed the costs, would that then be applied against the cost of the asset. But if the net proceeds exceeded the cost of testing, that excess amount would be recognized in profit or loss? Exactly. Uh, right, uh, that's the latter view, and the Interpretations Committee tentatively decided that way, and uh, the uh, amount by which net proceeds received exceed the cost of testing would be recognized in net 
profit and loss and not against the cost of asset. Okay, so although there were some mixed views among the committee members, in the end they decided to go with that second. Exactly, so uh, they made a tentative agenda decision uh, on that view. And now we also had uh, questions raised by the submitter about disclosure requirements. Can you tell us about that? Exactly. So the submitter considers that if the cost of testing and process are uh, material, there should be disclosure on those circumstances. And submitter asked if uh, additional disclosure requirements should be made on that particular point. The interpretations committee considered that an additional disclosure requirement is not necessary for the net proceeds and the cost of testing. If the net proceeds and the cost of testing are material, paragraph 17C of IAS 1 would require additional disclosure uh, if that information is necessary to enable users to understand the impact on the financial statements. Okay, good. Um, So what are the next steps on this project then? Yes, so the Interpretations Committee will solicit the comments to the tentative agenda decision until the end of September. The Interpretations Committee will discuss the comments received on the tentative agenda decision at the November Interpretations Committee meeting. Okay. Well, that brings us to the end of the July 2014 IFRIC Update podcast. Uh, The full details of the proceedings of the Interpretations Committee meeting can be found in the IFRIC Update newsletter, which is available on the IASB website. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye.